Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Hello and welcome to everyone joining us for our online service. My name is Keely, and together with my husband, we lead the team here at Riverside Vineyard Church in Whitstable. It was so nice to see everybody commenting before the service and, and saying hi to everyone in our virtual cafe on Facebook. And that will be open again as it was last week at the end of the service for about 15 minutes. And as lovely as that is, it's no substitute for actually seeing people's faces. So we've got a few messages for you now from some of our senior leadership team and hopefully you'll feel really encouraged. Good morning, everyone. We hope you're doing well and coping in these unusual times. We're really missing you all, really missing you all in crunch and just hope you're getting on okay with homeschooling. Yeah, we hope you've been able to connect with one another too and uh, we've been using Zoom in our small group, which has been a really good way to stay connected and to pray with one another. And uh, we just pray for the whole church now and just pray that you'd really experience God's presence and to know his peace at this difficult time. And we can't wait to see you all again soon. Take care. Bye. Good morning. Hi, everybody. So miss seeing each one of you. But it'd be great, won't it, when we get together again soon. And um, I also ask that you save all your testimonies to what God has been doing in your lives and in the lives of your community uh, for such a time as this. I'm so proud to be a part of Riverside. It just thrills me to hear all the testimonies and all that's going on behind the scenes to bring the love of Christ into our community. You're all doing an amazing work. All of you, every single one of you is doing a a real good work, showing the love of Jesus and sharing his compassionate heart in our community. By caring for each other and our neighbours, um, it's really been amazing what's been going on. So just take notice of it and write it down because we're going to have lots to share when we get back together. So I say to you this morning, keep going, be safe and be encouraged. Be encouraged by um, what God is doing. And just to say that I love you all. And if you do get a dark day, remember, tell your mountain about your God. Anyway, take care. I love you all and I'm sending virtual hugs to you all and remember who you are as a child of God. Bye-bye. God bless. Hello to all our Riverside friends and family. Lovely to be able to send a little message this morning to encourage you and to let you know that we're missing you as much as I'm sure you're missing us. Anyway, we're busy at the moment. We've got a little baby to look after. Oh, he's getting a little bit across, but also going to work. But we just wanted you to know that we're thinking of you. We miss you all loads. And Martin's got a few things to say. If you're like me, one of the things I've noticed, particularly watching the television, how long some of the presenters' hairs have been getting. But uh, it doesn't happen in this house because we've got one of these, which is a great tool. And I've decided to be a bit entrepreneurial because I'm going to connect it to this 
and I reckon I could start a business called Social Distancing Haircuts. So if you're interested, give us a ring. Uh, last night when I went to bed, I was thinking, what is it I should say to you guys this morning? Uh, and I believe the Lord has given me a, a verse, uh, so I'd like to share it with you. It's um, from John chapter 3, and it's verse 27. So John chapter 3, verse 27, and it's the story in the Bible from when John the Baptist has been baptising people. And this is what it says. They came to John, that's his disciples, and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, that's Jesus, look, he's baptising and everyone is going to him. Verse 27. John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. And so I said to the Lord, what does this mean? What do you want me to tell the, the church? And I believe he said to me, he said, don't worry about what's happening on the other side of the Jordan. Think about and get on with what you've been given to do. Now, we've all been commissioned. We're all ambassadors. We've been given a task to do. And it's particularly important now, this time, when we perhaps can't get out and about quite so much, that we push in hard and ask the Lord, what is it? What is my task? What am I uniquely given to do? And you are exactly that. You have been given a unique task that you are equipped to do, a task that only you can perform in your environment, in your situation at this time. What is that task? I'm not sure but the Lord is. But I do know that it's gonna involve some form of relationship. It might be that you need to contact someone like a neighbor, a friend you've not spoken to for a while, a family member, someone who you fell out with many years ago even. Whoever it is, let's push in and ask the Lord to show us who is it what is it I've got to do? What relationship is it, Lord, you want me to deepen? Let's start, though, with deepening our relationships with God. What a great opportunity. Most of us have a little bit of extra time. So let's spend that time going deeper with God. Get to know him better. And as you get to know him better, the relationships with other people will obviously deepen. So this is your challenge this week. Find your address book, whether it be on your phone, or actually a hardback copy. Ask the Lord to show you, as you go through your address book, who is it, Lord, you want me to deepen my relationship with? And I guarantee he will give you someone to ring, or someone to write to, someone to email, or someone just to speak to over the fence. Whoever it is, let's deepen those relationships because this is a unique time and a great opportunity. Thank you guys. Hope you enjoyed those and felt encouraged and there'll be more next week. Now here is a little update from Alison explaining what the Stitch and Chat ladies have been getting up to whilst they're on lockdown. The Linus Project is a nationwide project providing quilts for babies, children and teenagers who are in hospital long term or in care. Each child who receives a quilt gets to keep it forever and it becomes a very special, precious comforter for that child. Over the past few months, the ladies at Stitch and Chat at Riverside 
have been busy making quilts for these children and I then take them to the area coordinator who distributes them to hospitals and to children in care. Altogether, we have made over 20 quilts and here are just some of those that are waiting for the end of lockdown so they can be distributed. I know that several ladies are continuing to make these quilts during lockdown and it is my particular pleasure to thank them all for their amazing contributions. At Stitch and Chat, as well as Linus Quilts, the ladies work on their own quilting projects and I throw in a bit of teaching where necessary. We also occasionally make heart-shaped cushions for ladies recovering from breast surgery. These are then distributed to local hospitals. Thank you Stitch and Chat ladies, you are amazing. Thanks Alison for that fantastic update on what's happening with the Stitch and Chat ladies. I love the fact that they're making those quilts. Uh, I asked Alison where that word came from, Linus, and it's from um, the Peanuts cartoon, the Charlie Brown cartoon, which if you're old enough like me, you'll remember that cartoon. There was a character called Linus who carried around a blanket with him all the time while he sucked his thumb, and the, and the blanket was his comfort. And uh, those Linus quilts that the ladies are making, they bring tremendous comfort to uh, the children who receive them. So thank you guys. Uh, keep keep going, keep making them, keep getting them out there. That's wonderful to see. I also want to thank uh, Jake for all the great work he's done this week on posting on Facebook and sending out uh, emails to encourage us to pray. Thank you, Jake, for those uh, those great prompts and encouragements. And, and just to say, obviously, a week of prayer doesn't end at the end of the week. Just let's keep praying for the things that Jake raised and let's keep uh, pushing into God. And, and really, as we said in this series, prayer is the thing we can do. Prayer is the thing that is completely unhindered by our isolation. We can pray, we can go into that quiet place and we can pray and we can, we can know that our prayers uh, are making a difference. And that really is what today's talk is all about. I want to um, really think about what happens when we pray. Where do our prayers go? So far we've focused on um, how we pray. We pray honestly, authentically, uh, vulnerably. We pray with, uh, with mercy. But what happens when we bring those prayers? Where do those prayers go? Do they just disappear into the sky? Uh, do they sort of vanish into the ether? What happens when we pray? I want to start with a, a classic vintage clip from a show I used to love uh, called Candy Camera, a hidden camera show. So let's watch this and uh, we'll come back and talk about it. This is a scene in Chicago right near the famous water tower. And uh, Tom has a tape measure and he asks this fine gentleman to help him hold one end while he goes around this wall to find another passerby. And he's elected to hold the other end, just for a moment, Tom says. And then we proceed to go off and do a film on the other side of town. Just as sweet and kind and patient. <laughs> and as far as we know, the two of them are still standing there. So I think those men are probably still there now holding that tape. And the reason I wanted to show that video is because sometimes it can feel like our prayers sort of disappear around the corner, uh, out of sight, and we just don't know what happens. Where do they go? Are they just, are they just disappearing? Is there anybody there? 
is there anyone receiving them? Sometimes you can feel like when we pray, it's like throwing pebbles into a pond. Those sort of stones go in and they just disappear out of sight. And uh, I think a lot of people struggle to pray because they, they are anxious about the outcome. What's going to happen with their prayers? Will, will their prayers actually make a difference? Will their prayers, are they meaningful? Are, are, they, are they creating any effect at all? And um, today I want to look at some reasons why the Bible tells us we can be expectant in the place of prayer. We can be encouraged in the place of prayer. To be expectant is to have a strong sense that something will happen. You know, we talk, we talk about uh, expectancy around, around holidays or events or, or things we're looking forward to. There's an excitement and an eagerness in us because we know something is going to happen and normally something good. And when we pray, we can be expectant because of a number of reasons. The first one I want to look at today is because of who God is. We can be expectant in prayer because of who God is. The Bible tells us that our prayers are not just disappearing, they're actually addressed and going to a person. And that's a person who loves us. It says in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love. And it's one of my most favourite verses in the whole Bible. Whenever I struggle or I'm losing my way or I'm trying to figure things out or I'm wrestling with questions I can't answer, I always come back to those three simple words that God is love. And even if I can't figure out what God is doing or where God is or how God is acting, I can stand on the truth that God is love. Many of us have been to weddings and heard that the passage from 1 Corinthians 13 read out uh, about love. But if we substitute the word God in, um, let's see what it says. It says this in 1 Corinthians 13. God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. God does not boast. God is not proud. God is not rude. God is not self-seeking. God is not easily angered. God keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. God always protects. God always trusts. God always hopes. God always perseveres. God never fails. And so when we are praying, we can be expectant because our prayers are going to a person whose very essence is love. It says in 1 John 4, 19, that we love because he first loved us. Any ability that we have as people to experience love or to show love comes from God, who is the source of love. So we may have incredibly strong loving feelings towards our spouse, towards members of our family, towards our friends, even towards our pets we might, or, or places. We might have these strong feelings of love, but they're only a shadow, a fraction of the love that is within the character of God. They're just like a, a very small uh, expression of, of, of who God is and the very nature of God being love. At the heart of the community of God, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is love. That's a relationship based in love. John said, uh, sorry, Jesus says this when he prays for all the people uh, who will believe in him in John's gospel. He says this uh, in John 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and me, sorry, just as you're in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, 
that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so this prayer of Jesus is about inviting every person who trusts and follows him into this community of love. We're invited into this, this relationship of love between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And God's desire is that our relationships on earth would, would, would mirror the love that is within that sort of heavenly community. Uh, the author John Altberg explains it like this. He says, we've been invited into this fellowship of love. When Jesus prays for us to be invited into the divine circle, it is not a casual request. There's an enormous price to be paid for our admittance. The Son will go to the cross. The Father, who had known nothing from all eternity but perfect intimacy with his Son, will now see his beloved Son suffer the anguish and alienation of sin. The Spirit will come to earth and allow himself to be quenched and grieved by human beings. At enormous cost to every member of the Trinity, you and I have been welcomed to the eternal circle to be held in the heart of Father, Son and Spirit. And when we pray, our prayers are entering this community of love. We're praying through Jesus to Father by the Holy Spirit. And this means that even the weakest of our prayers can be full of great expectation because it's not based on, on, on our strength. It's not based on, on, on how much um, how strong we feel our prayers are. One of my favourite quotes in, in the Bible is from a man who said, I believe Help me with my unbelief. And, and that's like us when we pray. We can, even our weakest prayers, even our prayers that, that seem, um, we can have very little expectation. We can still have great expectancy because it's God that's receiving our prayers, the God of love. And our, our, we don't diminish God's love by, by not praying strong prayers. We, we can't reduce God's love. God is the one who remains the same. And as we come into his presence, it's he that changes us, not, not we that change him. Jesus contrasted the, the love of natural parents with the love of the father in Luke's gospel. He said in Luke 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And Jesus again reminds us that even if we're the most loving Heavenly Father and our desire for our children is so strong, God's love for us is so much, so much greater. And so we start today by thinking about our prayers being full of expectancy because they go to a God who loves us. The second reason I want to explore today is because of what Jesus said. In Luke's Gospel in chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of a woman who is in a very difficult situation. She's got a, she's got a case to bring, uh, a, a case to bring to court, and she's dealing with an unjust and corrupt judge. And to make matters worse, she's a widow and has very few, or if any, resources to try and support her case. She can't bribe, but she can't bribe the judge even if she wanted to. She has no money. All she has is her cause and, and the fact that she's in the right. And uh, Jesus tells the story like this in Luke 18. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, 
grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see they get justice and quickly. The woman in the story had, had virtually no resource. All she had was that cry for justice. And when Jesus told this story, he knew that the religious leaders were, were fearful about, about uh, wearing God out with their prayers. They tended to limit their prayers uh, to sort of three times a day because they were fearful of, of bothering God or getting on God's nerves because they were praying too much. Um, but by telling this story, Jesus is, is actually inverting the whole thing. The language he uses in this story is quite humorous. The language uh, that we translate attack in the NIV version it means to come and box somebody, like you're boxing them in a boxing ring, literally to give them a black eye. And Jesus says, you can come in prayer and give God a black eye. The judge in the story was, was worried about being worn out, beaten down by the persistence of the, of the widow's cry, the, uh, her cry for justice. And in the end, he relents and he grants her uh, what she wants. And Jesus tells the story, and he started by saying, he tells the story, we should always pray and not give up. And he, try, he inverts this traditional view that we can, we can bother God with our prayers or we can get on God's nerves or make God angry by, by bothering him too much with our cries for justice. He gives us permission in this story to literally beat God black and blue with our requests. And um, what he says if it, is that an earthly judge who is corrupt and unjust can be moved by the persistence of a woman who has virtually nothing at her disposal. How much more will God who loves us uh, be moved to act by our prayers? And you might feel a bit like the persistent widow today. You might feel like you've got very little resource, very little um, uh, at your disposal to, to effect change, particularly in the current crisis. You might be uh, sick and tired of praying the same prayers. You might, you might feel like you've prayed over and over again for the same thing. You might feel that God is sick and tired of hearing that prayer request from you. You might feel that God is somehow frustrated or annoyed that you come back to him with the same request. But what we all need to hear today from Jesus' words is that we, we have a right to pound on God's door continually, to, to cry out to him day and night, Jesus says, to pray and to not give up. Because that cry for justice, that cry within us to see things change, to see things put right, has been put there by God himself. And God, God says to us, you know, keep coming, keep praying because your prayers have an effect. You can be expectant that your prayers are bringing about change. And even when we feel powerless, God is our vindicator. God is not like the unjust judge. God is, God is love. God is ultimate justice, ultimate compassion. He's our advocate. He's the one who, who vindicates. And so we can't overpray. We can't get on God's nerves or with our prayers. The only way we fail to pray, so the only way we can fail uh, in prayer is if we fail to pray. That's the only way we can fail. If we show up, even if we're feeling weak in our prayers, uh, God is the God who takes those prayers and moves to act. 
Uh, Pete Gregg said this week in Lectio 360, which is the devotional app I know many of us are using, he says just by turning up, we succeed in the place of prayer. And so we can be expectant because God loves us and because Jesus told us to pray and not give up. And the third reason I want to look at today of why we can be expectant in the place of prayer is because of who we've become. What's fascinating about reading the scriptures is that um, Jesus encouraged people to pray from the moment he came into ministry when he was 30. So for three years he went around encouraging people to pray. And we've looked at some of those different um, encouragements in this series. But you may recognise that that all came before Jesus went to the cross. That all came before uh, the act, um, the amazing act, the cosmic act that happened uh, on the cross. And, and the cross changes everything. The cross changed everything forever. And uh, I want to just let's quickly watch a video from N.T. Wright here who explains a little bit about what happened when Jesus went to the cross. I think I want to start at the end and say God's design is, as Ephesians 1 says, to join all things in heaven and on earth together in the Messiah. Now, in the Messiah, that is in Jesus, heaven and earth come together. He is the heaven and earth person. And what he does in his life, in his inauguration of the kingdom, in his death and resurrection and ascension, is to make that now a cosmic reality. And the New Testament comes back again and again and says that something happened when Jesus died as a result of which the world is a different place. Nobody realized until Easter Day, and it took him a while to realize even then, but that something happened. And this is very difficult for us to talk about because it's to do with there being dark forces in the world which we humans give power to by worshiping them, whether we call them gods or whether we just think of them as money and sex and power or whatever it is. And then they have power over us. We worship them, which is idolatrous, our humanness fractures, which is sin, etc. How are we rescued from that? And here's the problem, that we in the West have tended to see the whole thing in terms of have I behaved myself sufficiently or not? Here is a moral standard. God wants me to obey it. Oh dear, I haven't. Then God's going to punish me. Oh, fortunately, somebody gets in the way and takes the rap on my behalf. And I want to say that's a very low-grade, almost pagan view of how a God might behave. And it's we get there because we have moralized our view of humanity. Morals matter enormously, but humans are more than moral-keeping machines. Humans are meant to be reflecting God's love into the world and reflecting the praises of creation back to the Creator. And it's very interesting that in the book of Revelation, it says that the, the, the blood of the Lamb is shed in the new Passover so that we might be the royal priesthood, the kingdom and priests. Not so that we can heave a sigh of relief and go to heaven. In other words, it isn't about moralizing our vision of humans. It's about a vocation. And Jesus rescues us from all the things that get in the way of our being the genuine human beings we are supposed to be and can start to be now to practice ahead of the final new creation. So as N.T. said, the cross changed everything. Something happened there that made the world a different place. The Apostle Paul says this in his letter to the uh, church in Corinth. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. What Jesus did at the cross changed prayer forever. It changed the way we pray, it changed our ability to pray. If we choose to receive Jesus into our lives, we choose to follow him, we become what Paul described there. We become new creations. Uh, Jesus talked about being born again. And so we become new creations in Christ. We're reconciled to God and we now carry a ministry of reconciliation as Christ's ambassadors. And so part of the way we carry that is also in the place of prayer. I want to look at the story of the centurion Cornelius um, in Acts chapter 10. Um, he was a man, uh, he was a centurion, he was a Gentile and, and he had an awareness of God but hadn't fully come into that relationship with God through Christ. Let's, let's look at the story in Acts 10, 1. It, said, it says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So Cornelius is described as a, as a Gentile, a non-Jew, um, part of the Roman, Roman army, and uh, He's God-fearing. He has a God-awareness, a reverence towards, towards God. And, uh, and he prays regularly. So he's God-aware and he's, and he's looking and seeking and he's respectful and reverent towards God. And he's also a compassionate man as well who gives to the poor. And something dramatic happens to Cornelius. It says this reading on in Acts. says, one day at about three in the afternoon, he has a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius... And Cornelius stared at him in fear and said, what is it, Lord? And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. So his prayers and his, his acts of compassion have sort of risen up before the Lord. And now God is going to send someone to help him fully come into relationship. He speaks and says, there's a man called Peter who's staying with Simon the Tanner. You need to send some men and go and fetch him because he's going to help you come fully into relationship. So Cornelius basically gets his men and sends them off to go and get Peter, uh, who's an apostle. Now, meanwhile, Peter's having a, an encounter of his own. He's on a roof praying and he has this vision of God's kingdom being much bigger than just a message to the Jewish people. It's also a message for all people, to all people, including the Gentiles and non-Jews. And so Peter's having this encounter when the men arrive at the door and they, and they say, look, can you come back uh, with us to meet Cornelius? Because I think God wants you to go. And so led by the spirit, um, he goes back. And when he arrives there, he says this. He says, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anything impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour and at three in the afternoon. And suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. It was good of you to come. Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And there's beautiful symmetry in this story, isn't there? That, that, that God is speaking to Cornelius 
and God is speaking to Peter and he now brings the two together. Cornelius is, is looking to have his understanding of God expanded and God is expanding Peter's understanding of who he is, showing him the kingdom is much bigger than he originally thought. And then Peter gives this wonderful summary of Jesus' life and mission. He says, I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in, that, in, he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify, testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And that's Acts 10, 34 through 43. And that's Peter is sharing this wonderful, succinct account of Jesus' life and the gospel. The Holy Spirit falls on the people in the room. It says it came on all who heard the message. And as the people were listening and having their minds uh, expanded in terms of who Jesus was, they must have received Jesus fully into their hearts. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they became the new creations that we've already said that Paul talked about. They were born again. And so Cornelius went from being a God-fearer to being part of God's family. He was forgiven. Yeah, he was accepted. He was adopted. He was now part of God's family. And that would have changed the way he prayed forever. Because no longer would his prayers just come up like a memorial before the Lord. He would be praying as a son in God's family, to a father who loved him. And that relationship in prayer would have been a conversation now between a father and a son, because Cornelius was fully reconciled to his father God through Jesus Christ. And we can pray expectantly because of who God has made us in Jesus. Jesus' brother James said this, he said, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And when we come to Christ and we follow him, and we receive him, he gives us his righteousness. He makes us right before God. And so now our prayers come from a completely different place. Our prayers come from a righteous place and they're powerful and they're effective. And so we don't pray to get God's attention. We don't pray to twist God's arm. The prayers that we pray are from a daughter to a father or from a son to a father. It's a conversation. And we come into step with God's plan. We come into line with his heart and our heart uh, beats as his heart does for different things and different causes and so we, we pray in line with him we, we, we the requests that we pray come from the heart of the father and we become these agents of reconciliation uh, that that paul talked about and so in summary guys we can pray with expectancy because we pray to a god who loves us because jesus said to pray and never give up and pound on God's door because, because something happens when we pray. And we pray from a position of relationship. We pray because we're part of God's family. As I, I was preparing this talk, I, I was 
uh, early in the week. It was raining, it was windy, and I was reflecting on how much um, I miss you guys. It's, it's not fun talking to a camera, I've got to say that. I'd much rather be talking to you in person. And so I, I was struggling a bit, and I was, um, I was praying, and I was reflecting, I was looking out the window, and I was watching the wind uh, that was blowing hard this week, I think, on Monday and Tuesday. We were just moving the trees. And I thought, that's just what, what prayer's like. We, we can't see that wind of prayer but we can see the effect we can see the movement that happens uh, as we pray and uh, prayer often feels intangible uh, it's something that we, can, we can't sort of hold but we can see the effect of prayer and I know the effects in my life people praying for me and the effects of the church praying for different people over the many years and uh, I wanted just to encourage you today if you're feeling starting to feel the cumulative effects of, of isolation. Uh, I, wanna, I wanna pray for you today. I wanna echo a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed nearly 2000 years ago. And um, I'm gonna pray that prayer and then Jake and Emma are gonna lead us in, in one last song. And again, just use that song to, to, to allow Jesus to water your soul, to nourish you and to, to fill you with expectancy that the prayers that you pray don't have to be perfect prayers. They can be short prayers. One of my favourite prayers in the Bible is from Peter, you know, God help. Just a very, two words, the simplest prayer, God help. But that prayer, even that tiny prayer, can be filled with expectancy that God will respond because he hears that prayer and he comes to meet us. And so as I pray this prayer, imagine God's love and grace flowing into your life and flowing along those interconnecting relationships that are still present, even though we, we have to be socially distant the body of Christ is still the body and we're still connected and just and just just allow maybe thoughts of people that you love to come to mind and just pray for them and allow that connection to settle again in your soul we are united in Christ we're united by his love so let's pray I'm praying from Ephesians 3 I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power, there's a work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
Well, I hope you've enjoyed spending time with us today. Uh, as always, uh, stick around, um, maybe get into that comments column and just chat and just catch up with people. If you need to connect with us, you can connect with us through our Facebook page uh, and through our website. Just praying continued blessing on you. Thank you for joining us in this journey of prayer. Thank you that uh, we know God is moving like he moves the trees with the wind. We know he's moving. And I want to encourage you this week to have prayers that are full of expectation full of uh, a knowledge that God hears your prayers and is moving in response to your prayers. So God bless you. Uh, stay safe. We look forward to catching up with you soon. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.